This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is brought to you by Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. Live your best bookish life with the updated perks at Book Riot Insiders. We've sweetened the current short story and novel levels and introduced a brand new epic level, and you can try any level out for free for two weeks. The highlight is our new group read available to all epic members, and there's no cap on epic, so the more the merrier. Each quarter, we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge and cap off our read-along with a live chat. For all subscribers, we're working with a new featured vendor each quarter to create a deal just for insiders. Novel Level includes the new release index and a weekly email with that week's curated releases so you can stay up to date with zero effort. And for our podcast listeners, the Epic Level also includes perks for all the books, the Book Riot podcast, and Get Booked. Get the full details and join today at insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is. Or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Friday, April 10th. Hi, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Coping as well as can be in our somewhat pre-apocalyptic wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's fine. Oh my gosh. Everything's fine. So... This week on uh, yesterday, Thursday, it started out in the morning and it was like sunny and then it started to snow except it was still sunny and it looked a lot like ashes were falling and I was like, do I live in an apocalyptic wasteland? Like what is happening? This is a YA dystopian novel. (laughs) And then it like snowed off and on all day. So it would go from like legitimately sunny and blue skies and nice to like snow falling on the ground and staying there. And then it would stop and the snow would all melt and it would get sunny. And it did that like six times throughout the entire day. And it was so weird. That's super fun. <laughs> it was it was very uh, – I very much felt like I was in a YA dystopian novel <laughs> the whole day. I've been like debating a bit about whether we should talk about the present situation on the podcast. And I realized that when I am listening to other podcasts now, I feel kind of relieved when they talk about it. Because it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. oh, they're also dealing with it. You know what I mean? Like, this is Mm -hmm. a reality of life for, like, the globe right now. And so just hearing, like, how people are coping, what they're doing um, has been nice. I have been working on a puzzle of a bunch of doors for (laughs) uh, weeks now because I have been leaving it for days at a time and then picking it up again. How about you? Well, so my sister, I I hate puzzles, Um, but my sister Jenny like really wanted to do puzzles. And so she went and bought a couple of them. And she just today, like a couple of hours ago, finished the first one. It was this like scene of Paris and it had these like, they were not cherry blossoms, but they look like cherry blossom trees. And it took her her days to do that part of the puzzle. Um, So, but I, I do not like puzzles. I instead have been playing Animal Crossing on the Nintendo Switch. I 
do not play video games very often because when I play them, I become very singularly focused on them and I, to the detriment of like nearly all other uh, recreational activities in my life. Uh, but I got Animal Crossing and I've been playing a lot and I have a cute little house and uh, palm trees and uh, I've just bought a cardigan today. So, I've, can, you know, congratulations. What color is the cardigan? <laughs> It is a teal cardigan, and then I bought some yes. uh, maroon high top sneakers. Oh my uh, gosh! For my Animal Crossing character, so you know my life is really—it's uh, very exciting. I have a lot of things to do <laughs> on the island. You've got a lot going on. It sounds like so. I do. I do. Yeah. That is great. Yeah. Um, I downloaded. Speaking of video games, that game you mentioned last episode, Monument Valley. Oh my gosh! Isn't that the best? It's really good. I also keep feeling kind of stupid because I can't figure out the puzzles, and I'll just like stare at it for a long time and then once i figure it out it seems so obvious mm-hmm. um but it's really it's beautiful it's a beautiful game it's so nice yeah so have you have you been reading at all or very much i am reading much as my gemini self would sort of make sense with i have been reading like 12 books like bits of 12 books <laughs> so it's it's very like jack of all books finisher of none which I, mm-hmm. I feel like happens when I get stressed is I will keep like being like hopping from book to book, uh, which has been interesting. At the very least, I've been learning small amounts of things from many different topics. So <laughs> that's been good. Well, that's not so bad. What about you? Um, the only reading – so I have gotten to read a little bit, but only when I'm like – the only times I have read in the last few weeks are on like Sunday mornings when I like don't really have anything – to do all day and so then I sit down and I'm like I'm going to read and then I read for like three hours or four hours but otherwise like in the evenings or like after work or on any other day like I just I can't so that's been kind of a weird thing to sort of be able to sit and focus and read for long stretches but then not be able to pick up books any other time sure so, and then uh, speaking of books and reading, we had a few people after the last episode emailed us and shared kind of what they're doing and reading and how they're coping. And it was really like delightful and nice to hear from folks. So um, if you would like to share with us uh, how you are reading and how you are doing, that would be so great. Uh, for real at bookriot.com is our email address. And we will both see that. Yeah. Email us there. We both check that inbox. And I am, for one, always thrilled to see or hear about what other people are reading. So Please do that uh, if you are, you know, willing. Okay, so uh, that brings us to our first sponsor, which is Book Riot's TBR. It's very exciting. TBR is Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations. So it's like a different spin on that old thing that we all talk about with our TBR shelves. Okay, so so this is for readers of all stripes. So no matter what you're into, we can offer recommendations and suggestions for you, which is probably especially helpful right now when I assume some people are reading a lot more than usual. Uh, if you are tired of wasting money on books you end up not loving, we can help tell TBR about your reading preferences, what you're looking for, and your bibliologist We'll handpick recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there is an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Excellent. So the book world has been, you know, like there's lots of strange news in the book world, so I just have uh, I have two small things, I think, to share. One that is kind of a bummer and one that I actually think is kind of cool. So... 
The first piece of news that is kind of a bummer is that this week the Pulitzer Prize Board announced that they are going to postpone uh, the announcement of this year's winners from the end of April to early May, um, I guess from April 20th to May 4th, so a couple of weeks. And the reason that they're doing that is because many journalists who would be helping to choose the prizes and who would win the prizes are all busy reporting on coronavirus, and so there just isn't time to... They want to give reporters and journalists time and space to do that, and so they um, are going to spread spread the awards out a little bit. So Pulitzer Prizes, they give prizes in journalism, but they also give book prizes, and I pretty reliably love the nonfiction winners that get Pulitzer Prizes. Like, they're usually great reporting. They're usually well-written. Um, I'm trying – drawing a total blank on recent Pulitzer winners that I can give examples to, but uh, we won't know the winners for this year until uh, early May, potentially, but maybe longer. Who even knows at this point? I feel like everything is getting here at, at for real. We keep, like, spreadsheets of upcoming releases so that we can, you know, mm-hmm. figure out what to talk about, and I've had to, you know, double-check all of the release dates because all these different books are getting pushed out to later um, because, understandably, you know, some publishers are like, well, we can't really, it's hard to promote right now. So that's that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. And I wonder too, if it's like thinking ahead, like they're not, everything is sort of shut down right now. And so if you're pushing books out, then it's okay that maybe books aren't getting acquired or moving along in processes right now, because you're kind of pushing your whole publishing schedule out. I don't know. It's it's a weird time. And it's, I, I've struggled thinking about like, as we come out of this, what does what does all this stuff look like after it's been paused for so long, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, also, I just looked up the 2019 Pulitzer winner for general mm. nonfiction. Thank and you. Uh, it is Amity and Prosperity, One Family and the Fracturing of America by Eliza Griswold. Oh, I remember that one. It sounded so good. I don't remember that one at all, but apparently it was great. So that's great. <laughs> Excellent. So Pulitzer Prizes, we'll know more about that soonish. Um, the other news article I just wanted to link to is a, it's an interview actually from American Libraries with uh, Stacey Abrams, who uh, ran for governor of Georgia and now is a um, politician, author, and entrepreneur who has done some nonprofit work in uh, aimed at countering voter suppression and encouraging participation in the census, uh, these two nonprofits that she's working on. And so it was Census Day at the beginning of April, and so she did this interview with American Libraries just talking about her work with the census and how important it is and why it's so important to um, make sure voting is going to happen fairly this November. Um, and then she also has a book coming out in June, uh, also about voting rights, called Our Time is Now, Power, Purpose, and a Fight for a Fair America. Um, and so we'll just link to that interview. I thought it was really interesting. She's so smart and has such cool ideas. So um, that was more just to like hey, people are still doing awesome stuff even in the middle of a pandemic. Hooray! Hooray. Uh, All right, so we will get our second sponsor of this episode uh, before we head into new books. And so that sponsor is Libro.fm. So Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and some hot new audiobook releases, uh, including books like Wow No Thank You by Samantha Irby, The Collected Schizophrenia by Esme Weijian Wang, and Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow. 
Uh, with Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. Uh, listeners to For Real can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Sign up with the code BR3 before Saturday, April 25th, and you'll get two extra audiobooks delivered that day in celebration of Independent Bookstore Day. A one-day party taking place at local bookstores across the country, probably now mostly online. Uh, it's a day to celebrate the unique ways your local bookstore and booksellers contribute to your community. That's Libro.fm, code BR3 to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. What a deal. What a deal. I wonder how most indie bookstores are going to be celebrating Independent Bookstore Day. That's a, a fun thing to watch out for. I am very curious. I have been super impressed. Um, the Twin Cities has some really good indie bookstores, and there's two of them that I've alternated weeks buying books from them just to keep them going, and it's been really cool to see how they're trying to adapt. Nice. Yay. Go indie bookstores. All right, so we will uh, shift into new books, and we've got um, a few that we're going to talk about in depth, and we've each got a few quick picks because we want to try and talk about as many new books as possible since it's a tough time to be publishing a new book. So my first pick this week is called American Harvest, God, Country, and Farming in the Heartland by Marie Mitsuki Mockett. And this book came out April 7th from Grey Wolf Press, which is one of my favorite local presses in Minnesota. So yeah, Grey Wolf. Uh, and so uh, the author, her family, for the last 100 years has owned a 7,000-acre wheat farm in Nebraska. Um, she and her parents never lived or don't live there. They lived um, variously on the East Coast and the West Coast. And so the land uh, is managed and harvested by other people. Um, but for a lot of years, the family has gone back annually to the farm in Nebraska to help with the whole harvesting project. And so um, after her father's death, Marie decided that she was going to take, she was going to continue uh, being active with the farm and at the family. And so uh, for the book, what she decides to do is accompany the team of independent harvesters who come and uh, contracted harvesters who come and cut the fields and she's going to join them for the entire harvesting season starting in Texas and then following them north as um, the the fields kind of mature and um, are ready to harvest and so she spends the whole season with this farming crew um, and the crew is led by a guy named Eric Wolgamuth who is this conservative farmer from Pennsylvania I think Pennsylvania uh, he and he uh, brings his crew to Texas and then follows the harvest north so the whole I think that the running theme of the book is exploring um, what Eric at one point calls the divide. And so it's kind of this difference between him and Marie. And um, at various times, they kind of explore it as like liberal versus conservative or city versus country or religious versus atheist. Although um, most of the time in the conversations they're having, they really resist making it that black and white or that simple. And so a lot of the book is just trying to kind of get at like, what is the thing that makes the heartland versus the coast so different from each other and what what things do we have in common so she just becomes part of this crew and this family so she the crew is primarily these young evangelical farm kids plus eric's family um and they go to church they go visit larger cities outside of the farming that they're doing they um she also grapples with her experience as a person of color and mixed race person in uh, these primarily white rural communities and this is one of those books where I sat down on a Sunday morning. I thought I'm going to read like 50 pages just to see how it is. And then I can know if I want to talk about it on the podcast. And then all of a sudden it was three hours later and I had read like 250 pages or something. Not quite. I didn't read it quite that fast, but <laughs> I read like half of it in a, a long morning and I just was great. Um, it, it looks at all these kind of different beliefs that we hold and all the different kind of angles we come at them and tries to understand 
just like where they come from, where we separate. And um, she does this really amazing job kind of building tension in the story. She sort of early in it alludes to like something going wrong with the harvesting season, but you don't have any idea what it's going to be. And I haven't gotten to like the true thing that goes wrong yet. And so I'm just like gripped by this idea of like what dark and terrible thing is coming to this this group and what what is going on. So um, I have just found this one like very weirdly fascinating and so beautifully written. Um, I'm excited to maybe sit down again this weekend and actually get to finish all the way through. So that book is American Harvest, God, Country, and Farming in the Heartland by Marie Matsuki Mockett. Oh no, that's so exciting. What is the dark foreboding harvest thing? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and if I did, I wouldn't tell you because I feel like that'd probably be a spoiler. Oh, right. That's like the thing bringing you through the book because you're like, <laughs> what is it? I have to know. Um, I'm always so impressed when people do that and just like yeah. keep you interested. Um, my first new read. And by the way, this week, there are so many new books coming out. Like as I'm maybe not especially nonfiction. I, there's probably more fiction coming out, honestly. But um, there's so much nonfiction, which, oh, let me plug the Book Riot newsletter for nonfiction, True Story. <laughs> you can search True Story Book Riot, sign up there, uh, formerly run by the awesome Kim right here. And then now I have taken it over. So uh, yeah, that's more new releases on uh, Wednesdays, right? Yeah, Wednesdays. Anyway, so my pick is In the Waves, My Quest to Solve the Mystery of a Civil War Submarine by Rachel Lance. I am in love with this book. I want to be Rachel Lance's friend. I have looked at her LinkedIn page. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And like, it's just so good. So what this thing is, it's about the USS, uh, it's not even a USS, I'm sorry. It's about the HL Hunley, which was a very small uh, Confederate submarine that in 1864 sunk a union ship outside Charleston Harbor. And then the Hunley sank. And so they finally like, I think it was Clive Cussler financed a group to, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But he financed a group to bring it up in 1995. And so then since then, the Friends of the Hunley, um, this like group that sort of has financed the restoration of it. And they're like, you can go visit it in Charleston and all this stuff. So they've been doing all this work on it. So Rachel Lance studies injury biomechanics, which you're like, whoa, what is that? Right. Okay. So it's the various mechanisms by which human beings get injured and killed, which she really focuses on explosions. So her, uh, she was doing her um, PhD and her um, advisor, I don't know, I just got my bachelor's, I don't know what these people are, but this guy who's <laughs> higher up in academia and advising her was basically like, oh, hey, maybe look at the Hunley. And she started looking at it and they didn't know what sank it because when they pulled the submarine up, they had, they found like the, basically like, not preserved, but sort of bodies of the crewmen and they were sitting in the same spots where they had been when it sank. Like, it meaning like, they it didn't seem like they tried to get out. They just sort of were like frozen in place. And so she was like, that's weird. And that's the mystery part. So when you visited the Hunley Museum, it would be like, here are four options for what could have happened to the Hunley. And it was like, they, they like suffocated or there was, you know, like a shot from the like, bow of the ship that they were attacking and like this like accidental shot sank them or something so there were all these options so she goes through the book she has her own idea it's very sciencey like she is a super science engineering nerd but even though i personally hate science and it, 
Meaning, like, <laughs> if they start talking about, like, I did this experiment and there was this many atmospheres of pressure, I, like, my eyes glaze over and I can't handle it. But she makes it so interesting and, like, relatable. And I was finding myself, like, I was like, okay, I can actually comprehend this, which was so great. So she goes through each of the possibilities and then is also at the same time trying to make models of, like, what she thinks happened and trying to get information from friends of the Hunley. And they really seem like just a bunch of punks. Like, maybe it's just her own, like, unfortunate interactions with them which were basically like she would ask them for info and they would be like great yeah um we're not going to give you any (laughs) but like and then she kept asking and finally they were like okay well we can give you some but you have to sign this paper that says you can't publish anything unless we can edit it and approve it and then we have the right to just say no and she was like well i'm this is my my thesis so i can't like work on a thesis for years and then just possibly have you say no So she ended up working without them. And it's just, oh my gosh, it's so good. Okay, so (laughs) check out In the Waves, My Quest to Solve the Mystery of a Civil War Submarine by Rachel Lance. So fun. You will love it. That sound, I saw that in the newsletter and I was like, holy crap, that sounds delightful. Uh, I'm really glad you talked about it because you made it sound even more delightful. All right, so my second pick is a book called Why Fish Don't Exist, A Story of Lost Love and the Hidden Order of Life by Lulu Miller. And it came out April 14th. Um, And I don't normally do this, but the first, like, four paragraphs of this book just, like, stopped me in my tracks. And so I really just want to read them because they're amazing. Um, So picture the person you love the most. Picture them sitting on the couch, eating cereal, ranting about something totally charming, like how it bothers them when people sign their emails with a single initial instead of taking those four extra keystrokes to just finish the job. Chaos will get them. Chaos will crack them from the outside, with a falling branch, a speeding car, a bullet, or unravel them from the inside by the mutiny of their very own cells. Chaos will rot your plants and kill your dog and rust your bike. It will decay your most precious memories, topple your favorite cities, wreck any sanctuary you can ever build. It's not if, it's when. Chaos is the only sure thing in this world, the master that rules us all. My scientist father taught me early that there is no escaping the second law of thermodynamics. Entropy is always growing. It can never be diminished, no matter what we do. A smart human accepts this truth. A smart human does not try to fight it. But one day in 1906, a man with a walrus mustache, after having seen enough of destruction, dared to challenge our master. That's just so freaking incredible, isn't it? That's pretty good. Yeah. So this is a book. It's kind of a part biography, part memoir, part science book about a guy named David Jord- David Starr Jordan, who was a taxonomist who tried to bring order to the natural world. Um, and he, uh, during the time he was alive, he was credited with discovering one-fifth of the fish that were known to humans at that time. Um, but he had this kind of horrifying event where that he had this amazing collection and then, um, his entire specimen's collection was destroyed by the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. And so he, instead of like despairing at losing his life's work in that way, he rebuilt. And so Lulu Miller kind of heard that anecdote about him and decided like, is he foolish? Is he full of hubris? Like, why would he do this and so she decided kind of for the the project of this book to dig in and try to understand him and look at what his experiences of sort of trying to tame chaos can teach us and how it can help us learn how to persevere in this world when chaos is everywhere and i don't know i think maybe it might be like the moment in which we live where like that particular opening just like hit me like a crack of lightning and i was like oh my goodness, this book might be exactly what I need to read right now. But uh, it's very good. I really like it so far. So it's it's 
just delightful. Why Fish Don't Exist, A Story of Loss, Love, and the Hidden Order of Life by Lulu Miller. I am so glad you talked about that because I definitely dismissed that book. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just saw the title and I was like, yeah, love, loss. Like, I'm so tired of love, loss from, like, um, mm-hmm. subtitles of nonfiction that I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that is so interesting. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I'll add that to my list. There was something else. Oh, it was that um, with the whole, like, rebuilding immediately after disaster. It reminded me of The Feather Thief. Mm-hmm. That one guy. You know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Everyone mm-hmm. read The Feather Thief, even though so I clearly only remember random bits of it. Okay, my next pick is Dancing at the Pity Party, a dead mom graphic memoir by Tyler Fitter. It's out April 14th from Dial. Um, so this is part uh, cancer memoir, part humorous reflection on a motherless life. When I saw that it was coming out, I was like, oh, I'll read that. And then my fiance, Michelle, was like, are you sure you want to read that? So my mom passed away <laughs> uh, just under two years ago. And when I saw that this was coming out and it was like a, a again, quote, dead mom graphic memoir, I was like, I just, I want to read this other person's experience and I want to see like what she has to say about it. And um, it's really good. It was, it is very sort of like, she talks about how great her mom is like from the start. And then she talks about like her mom discovering that she has cancer and then like what that, because it was when Tyler was 19 and kind of like what that journey was like for her family and like kind of, you know, it was like, you know, highs and lows and all the stuff. And they thought maybe it would get better. But then her mom ended up passing. And so then just like the follow up, like what happened after that and what it's like to be especially like, you know, at that age, but um, moving forward with someone so important in your life who has passed. Um, I will say it's a little hard. Like she does keep it like pretty, not like light in tone, but kind of, you know, because especially because it's this like graphic like she draws a lot of stuff throughout it there's some um there are some fun things uh that she does with like seems like single page sort of pull outs like she does this one of do's and don'ts for dealing with a grieving person which i was like this is super helpful like even if you haven't lost someone but just like reading it for helping like either friends or relatives who have lost someone and just having more of an idea of like what will be helpful for me to do right now or to not do (laughs) um one of the things i thought was interesting so I will say she talks at the beginning, right, about like, my mom was like so great and like so nice and funny. And she compares her to she has like this list of people who remind her of her mom. And it's like Jamie Lee Curtis, Princess Diana, Mary Poppins. And so my relationship with my mom was like really complicated. My mom was like brilliant and funny, but like other stuff too. And I when I was like, oh, my gosh, this is your list of people, because for me, it's like Lucille Bluth, Mrs. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> you know, like, it, I cannot watch Arrested Development without being like, oh, it's like mom. So um, I just, I don't know. I think it's interesting. I thought that a, a good, not experiment, but like exercise to do while reading it is to kind of pause on certain things that she's going through and be like, okay, like what happened for me in this? You know what I mean? Like, like what was I going through? What, like, how would I interpret this kind of thing? And um, I just, it's really good. I'm glad that, really glad that she wrote it and that it like exists out in the world now. But again, that is Dancing at the Pity Party, a dead mom graphic memoir. 
Oh, I'm really glad that that was a good and useful book for you. Um, I remember I'm a widow, and so I've read a lot of widow memoirs, and I do kind of the same thing with those of like reading them and being like, does this track to like what I experienced or how is it different? Or that's a different perspective on how that worked. And and it's interesting to find ones that feel like they resonate with you really strongly and other ones that their experiences don't resonate in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good, good pick. Um, all right. So I have two just quick mentions of books that I wanted to just highlight because they're out and I think they're worth mentioning. So the first one uh, we talked about, I think I think I talked about it in maybe like the first podcast of the year, uh, Joy at Work, Organizing Your Professional Life by Marie Kondo and Scott Sojenshine. And this is a book Marie Kondo did the, the KonMari method about uh, decluttering and things that bring you joy. So this book, Joy at Work, is uh, about strategies to help eliminate clutter, like wasteful meetings, disorganized paper, endless emails email and unnecessary tasks to make space for work that really matters, which um, I'm in a teleworking situation right now. And that seems very like a thing maybe in the future will be exciting to me <laughs> since I don't have a lot of that right now. Um, and my second book for quick mentions is one that I actually also saw in the newsletter, Alice, that I was like, oh man, how did I not know this was coming out? And this is More Than Ready, Be Strong and Be You and Other Lessons for Women of Color on the Rise by Cecilia Munoz. Uh, and the reason I got excited about this one is because it is a book by another Obama administration person. Uh, she was the first uh, Latinx person to lead the White House Domestic Policy Council under President Obama. And the book is full of lessons about working through fear, facing down uh, detractors and leading with kindness, which also sounds like an awesome thing to read about now. So those are my two other quick mentions for new books out soonish recently. When I saw that one, I was like, Kim's going to read this. <laughs> I want to so bad. Yep, you are correct. I am extremely predictable. Um, but in like a fun way. Okay. <laughs> um, so this one I wasn't able to get a review copy of, but I really wanted to talk about it because it looks really fun. Um, and by fun, I mean interesting. So, okay. It is Why We Swim by Bonnie Tsui. So, okay. Essentially, humans, right? We swim. Humans all over the globe swim, which is like from the Arctic to piranha infested rivers, which like why? Why? But um, so we swim for pleasure, for exercise, for healing. Oh, quick mom story. She was on a swim team in the 60s as a teenager. And she was extreme. She was always like the slowest of anyone on her team. But she said the, ju the judges always said she has beautiful form, though. So anyway, that was my mom's uh, constant swimming story. But <laughs> I know, sorry, I wasn't thinking about her right now. So I've got to interject that. Okay, so for swimming for humans, we are not natural swimmers. We're not like otters. We're not porpoises. We just sort of like, if we don't know how to swim, we just flail around and then we drown. So we have to be taught to swim. So it's like, why did we originally learn to swim? Who knows? Probably Bonnie Tsui. So in the 21st century, swimming is one of the most popular activities in the world. So in this book, she goes through stories of Olympic champions, a Baghdad swim club that meets in Saddam Hussein's palace pool, um, modern day Japanese samurai swimmers, which like, what is that? That's cool. <laughs> and even this Icelandic fisherman who, uh, or this one fisherman who survived a six hour swim after a shipwreck, like in Iceland, which I know is not... Greenland, because that's the really cold one. But I think it's still really cold by Iceland. So anyway, mm -hmm. my point being, 
this like Bonnie Sue is also a swimmer. That's why she wrote this book along with being, you know, a writer, hence the writing. But um, it just sounds really fascinating. I am a terrible swimmer. So I am all very interested in it and being like, yeah, why do we swim? <laughs> like, what's, <laughs> why are you all into this? Okay. So again, that is Why We Swim by Bonnie Tsui. Oh, and I had two quick mentions uh, of my own because again, there are five million new books this week. Um, one is The Broken Heart of America, St. Louis and the Violent History of the United States by Walter Johnson, which he talks about like racist capitalism. Like he combines the two, maybe it's like racial capitalism. That might be the phrase. Anyway, it's like very, very smart. And he talks about St. Louis being like kind of the crucible of all these issues in America and how the population has fallen. Like it's a third of the size of what it was in 1950. It was just really interesting. So again, that was The Broken Heart of America by Walter Johnson. And then the address book, What Street Addresses Reveal About Identity, Race, Wealth, and Power by Deidre Mask. Deidre Mask is like, hey, do you know why we have street addresses? And I said, no. And then I read the book and I was like, oh my gosh. (laughs) There's all this stuff about like why we um, do things the way we do in terms of numbering, like in terms of even stuff like why odd numbers are on one side and even numbers are on the other side, which you don't normally think about. But she investigated it. She goes all over the globe. She like goes to India where there's this really um, intense project to try to um, give every house a number because if you don't have an address, it's really hard to get things like benefits from the government, etc. So um, it's really interesting. So again, that is the address book by Deidre Mask. And um, that is my last new book for this week. That sounds awesome. Both of those, or all three of those, I guess. Excellent picks. All right. Uh, So for this week's theme, um, we thought that we would talk about books for Earth Day because Earth Day is coming up on April 22nd. So that'll be uh, the week after this podcast comes out. So we thought it'd be fun to talk about some books about the planet. Uh, But it turns out a lot of books about the Earth that have come out recently are kind of depressing and about climate change. So, you know, here we are. (laughs) Here we are. Uh, all right so my first pick uh we're gonna have another uplifting one this week i can i can just tell mm-hmm. so uh my first pick for earth day is uh the story of more how we got to climate change and where to go from here by hope jaron and if that name sounds familiar that is because she is the author of lab girl which was a super popular memoir memoir from 2016 um that memoir is about plants and also about the curiosity humility and passion that drive every scientist and it is a real delight to read uh and so this book is about human habits and our imperiled planet. So she looks at the science behind um, kind of the innovations that have helped us be more and do more and expand like electric power and farming and cars and the meat industry and that kind of stuff. And looks at how they have helped us, you know, like improve humanity, but then also contributed to greenhouse gases, which then contribute to climate change. So um, she also looks at what global warming kind of is actually doing to the planet and what it could potentially do to the planet in the future. Um, And then a little bit at the end about what are some things that we could do to try and change this. So I really, the thing I like about her is that she is a scientist, but she's not afraid to like share her own story in her writing. And so even in this book, which isn't really explicitly a memoir, she still has a lot about her own story and where she grew up and the work she does and that kind of thing that she incorporates into um, the kind of arguments and data that she's talking about, which I think, which I really like. Um, And then um, I appreciated that the book, The real focus of the book is about how sort of this culture of consumption and how 
we kind of live in a, a country and a society where we're kind of always doing more, but there's a lot of waste and how all of that is kind of contributing to the problems that our planet is having. And so, you know, a lot of it is kind of dire and sobering and not super pleasant, but uh, I appreciate I skimmed ahead and the book does end with some ideas for things that you can try and do to make the differences where you can. And I appreciate that there's some of that because she does talk about how like after she talks to her students about all of these things, they will sometimes ask her like, do you have any hope at all? And she says that she does and she kind of outlines that. So I appreciate having that kind of hopeful ending. So the story of more, how we got to climate change and where to go from here by Hope Jaren. Oh, I really want to read that one. Thanks for covering that, Kim. I also want to read Lab Girl. I still haven't. And it's supposed to be so good. It is good. So my first Earth Day pick is The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World by Peter Wohlleben. Um, It's possibly pronounced Wohlleben, but it's very German. So I don't know. So Peter Wohlleben says, are trees social beings? And his answer is yes, they are, which I love so much because, Kim, I love trees. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like I can't say that in a serious way, but I really, really do. And sometimes I go out of my way on a walk to touch a tree because I'm like, (laughs) it's just cut. Especially the ones that have that really like gnarly, like rough bark that's just like super like, oh gosh, it's just so great. It makes me feel so much better about life. So. So that's a charming thing that I did not know about you until right now. Not many people know, but now they do. Um, anyway, so yeah, so he talks about the forest as a social network and how there is all these like uh, scientific discoveries. So to say that trees are like human families and that tree parents live with their children and they support them. <laughs> like share nutrients and there's all this stuff and it reminds me a little bit of fern gully but also like just it's real so um i'm so glad that he wrote this and just like put this whole thing out about trees and their communication system because it's also very like lord of the rings and ent like which is also cool i love the ants so much so anyway if if you want to read not all about climate change for Earth Day, but also just some about trees. Uh, the Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wollaben. That's delightful. It turns out not all books about the Earth are sad. Um, <laughs> all right. So my um, it's just the books that I picked that were in my house. Uh, so my second pick is H is for Hawk by Helen McDonald. Um, this was a book that's back from 2015. Uh, at the time, it was one of the New York Times Book Review's best books of the year. It was in Slate's top 50 nonfiction books of the last 25 years. It made more than 25 different best of the year lists, so it is widely acclaimed and very well-beloved. Helen McDonald wrote the book after her father died, and after he died, she decided that she was going to adopt and raise a goshawk that she named Mabel. And so the, the book is about sort of her... Uh, her grief and her experience kind of pulling away from people to sort of like become just more contained so she could mourn and also like this project she had of raising a hawk. And so she adopts Mabel when uh, the, the hawk is 10 weeks old. She brings it home and then she trains it in the way that like ancient falconers would have trained their birds. And so it's her kind of memoir about grief. It's the story of training this goshawk and then like also a history of training falcons um, and also lots about identity and belonging and all of those kinds of things. Um, and it is a, it is a beautifully written book. It's um, 
not super fast paced. So it's been, um, I read part of it and I, it's not quite like in my brain space at the moment, but, um, it's one of those books that you can tell how, how good it is. It's just not quite, I couldn't quite get into it the same way that I wanted to, but I know that it's a great book and I feel good recommending it. So, um, just interesting kind of about a lot of different things. And that is H is for Hawk by Helen McDonald. I have read part of that, and I keep meaning to finish it because I feel like I love it based on what I've read. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I have friends who just read it and weren't fans, but I think that their temperament is very different from mine. So I'm just going to discount that. (laughs) 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 Uh, But yeah, no, that's that's an awesome pick and uh, a nonfiction book that all should at least look into. Um, So I'm finishing up my Earth Day picks with another sort of (laughs) not downer. (laughs) <laughs> but, um, okay, I actually, I was thinking about how to make a case for this book because I know right now things are so stressful that it's hard to be like, I'm going to read about something else stressful. But, okay, uh, the book is Inconspicuous Consumption, The Environmental Impact You Don't Know You Have by Tatiana Schlossberg. Um, she used to be the New York Times science writer. And, okay, so this book, here's my case for it. She She writes about things like how – eating a hamburger in California might contribute to pollution in the Gulf of Mexico or how buying this like inexpensive cashmere sweater in Chicago, (laughs) shout out, uh, expands the Mongolian desert um, or how even like destroying forests from North Carolina is necessary to generate electricity in England. So like how basically, right, it's not quite the butterfly effect, but how like this thing you do has impacts that you don't see um, in other areas and across the world. So again, that is a stressful idea. Wow. Why would we want to read about that? Okay. So my pitch for this is number one, Tatiana Schlossberg is very funny. So if you would like to read a funny writer talking about climate change, um, she is probably the one to go to. She will write things that are very sort of um, uh, casual in the midst of this very like, you know, like important subject and stuff. And like, as you can see, like something about basically referring to her own brilliance and stuff. And it's but like in a dry, witty <laughs> way. It's very funny. Um, and also, okay, so it is stressful being like, I bought this cashmere sweater and now this other horrible thing is happening because of this. But I would say look at it as there's like a bunch of things you find out about, right? Like this has an impact, this has an impact. And then you can pick like two things in that list to not do or to do less. And so then you are lessening the impact that you're having because you are you have to live your life and you're still going to do stuff like watch Netflix, which – she says also has an impact (laughs) on the environment. But you're still going to do those things, but like you might make slightly different choices as a result of it. And you can do them in a controlled way where it's not like overwhelming. So I feel like it's a good book to pick up. Again, that is Inconspicuous Consumption, The Environmental Impact You Don't Know You Have by Tatiana Schlossberg. So did you ever watch The Good Place? Um, Not all of it. I watched three seasons. So th- this reminds me a bit of the Good Place, and like, oh yeah, I don't want to say anymore because I know what you're talking about. A, that's fine. It's a, like a spoiler, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like that's what this reminds me of, and that kind of makes me want to read it because I, I appreciate that show in that area. To at me on Twitter if you want to know what I'm talking about. I don't think it's a spoiler <laughs> to say it deals with moral complexity. I think that that's yeah, that's fair. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really good. That's a good pick. All right, so that is some sort of depressing, sort of not books that you might choose to read about Earth Day, and hopefully we can all celebrate uh, this month, even if we're staying home a lot. Uh, 
Yeah. So we will wrap up this week's podcast as we normally do by talking about the books we're reading uh, at this very moment. Um, and I am the book I am hoping to pick up this weekend that I'm excited about, aside from finishing American Harvest, uh, is a fiction book called Writers and Lovers by Lily King. Um, and I, I just bought this one, and I don't know a ton about it, but I bought it because Lily King previously wrote this book called Euphoria um, that I just thought was completely stunning, and it is one of my favorites of all time. And so she became one of those auto-buy authors immediately. Um, and so this book is about a young woman who, um, after her mother's death, moves back to Massachusetts in the summer of 1997 and doesn't really have a plan of what to do with her life. Um, she is at 31, still clutching onto something nearly all of her old friends have let go of, the determination to live a creative life. And so it's about this summer of 1997 when she kind of comes to a head with all of her ambitions and her choices and all of those things. And I am, I'm really excited about it because Lily King is a really beautiful writer. So that is my weekend reading, hopefully. In the summer of 1997, I was obsessed with Days of Our Lives and listening to the Hercules soundtrack all the time. Ooh, that was probably me too, honestly. It's so good. Um, I did not know that you loved Lily King. I, I do. remember reading Euphoria, which has a, is it a rainbow tree on the cover? Yeah, and it's about some... Um, it's basically about Margaret Mead. <laughs> anthropologist. Yes, about basically Margaret Mead. And it is um, such a good book. I just loved it. Wow. That is, um, I think that I liked it, <laughs> but oh, that does not surprise me because we have slightly different temperaments. But no, I thought, I was interested. I was like, oh, now I want to read about Margaret Mead and her messy, messy life. But um, mm -hmm. that is awesome. I remember seeing that Writers and Lovers was coming out and I was kind of, I was interested enough that I was like, oh, I should probably pick that up. Um, I just finished Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Which Gideon the Ninth has such like an almost cult following at this point. <laughs> like people, when you talk to them about it, like their eyes glaze over and they just get so excited. Um, I finished it last night at like twelve thirty. Uh, okay. Like right, because I just like kept going through it because it was so good. It's kind of like it's like futuristic sci-fi Hunger Games. Agatha Christie is how I would pitch it. Probably <laughs> that sounds so banana. <laughs> It's it's really good though, um, but yeah, no, it's awesome. I'm a I uh, have a galley of Harrow the Ninth that I got a hand uh, a hand on, which um, I'm gonna start really soon because I'm very excited. But anyway, so that is our show. In conclusion, you can find us on social media at it's Alice Time or Kim the Dork. And if you feel so inclined, please take a couple minutes to go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that helps people find us more easily. And then while you're there, you can subscribe. So, uh, and then you'll get new episodes the very minute that they come out. Uh, and so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>